truth is we look forward to doing that for eternity, praising you for who you are and all that you have done, your amazing love for us. Lord, we do thank you that we gain everything because you gave everything for us. We thank you for grace because, Lord, we deserve nothing but your wrath. Instead, you give us eternal life. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we come here tonight because we're in the middle of, of a busy week. We're in the middle of, of life this week as it is going by and so many things are grabbing for our attention. But Lord, we set this time aside right now and Lord, ask that you just help us clear out everything. Put it at your feet now and Lord, we want to hear from you from your word. Bless us as we open it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good evening. How you guys doing? Good. Awana starts tonight. Yay! That's awesome. Did you see all of the all the kids out there? That's so that's so neat. I'm I, I love that. Love it. Thank you for all of you um, that are helping out with that, and even now just listening to some of the kids recite their verses before you came in here. So appreciate that. All right, well, please open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. As we continue through our study of the, the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, verse by verse. In 1 Samuel, last several weeks, we've been introduced to the main character. That's King David. And we saw that, uh, that over the past few weeks, we saw that he was anointed king, that, that he, was, he was chosen by God, a man after God's own heart to be the next king of Israel, God's choice for king. The problem for, for Israel, the problem for another particular man named Saul, is Saul was king at this time. And we see these two lives that are going parallel to each other in this. And we see the contrast and we see the different things. And, and as we focus a lot on the life of David now, as we continue through this study, we again saw his anointing. We saw his great conquest over the victory over Goliath, uh, the, the battle that, that, uh, that he steps out when no one else would and he defeats this giant. But then we saw that, that then the jealousy that came from King Saul and the fact that, that there had been several attempts on David's life, even closing out the last chapter where some, some hit squads, some hit teams were sent out, and we saw the sovereign hand of God protecting David because God made a promise to David, you're going to be the king. And I want to reiterate one point again as we kind of transition into this next piece, and that having to do with Saul. Because it's something that we've made a point of a couple of times before, but it, it bears repeating. Because, because Saul, though he failed, Saul, though he forfeited his right to be king, God took that, that, that crown from him. He took, the, he took it from his line first. He said that, that, that the kingdom will not pass through your line to your sons. And then he took the, that literally takes the kingdom from him, as, he, as Samuel said that to him. 
And if, if Saul would have recognized that at that point and done what he should have done, and that is to repent, to confess and admit that he had sinned against God, and, and instead of trying to hold on to, to what, what his flesh desired, but instead of humbling himself before God, God could have used him in such amazing ways. So it would, be, it, would be, it would be great to know what, the, what that story could have worked out like if he would have just humbled himself and said, you know what, Lord, whoever you're going to raise up now, I will come alongside and I will serve. But he doesn't. And we see the tragic, we will see the tragic end to his life. As we finished a couple of weeks ago, finished chapter 19, I, I mentioned that we're going to enter now into a period that will cover several chapters in, in 1 Samuel, a period of about 10 years where David will be in, in the wilderness. He will be wandering through, and this is not for punishment. It's not because of sin in David's life. This is for preparation. God is preparing him to be king. He anointed him as king as a young boy, like we said, somewhere probably 13, 14, 15 years old at that time, had this great victory when he's probably 17, 18 years old here, probably about 20 as we're moving through this. But God has preparation work that he needs to do in David. A lot of things that need to be, that need to be done in David, and we're going to see some of that tra- take place tonight. But I think it's important that as we look through this, because it's easy for David to have said, wait a second, I was promised the kingdom. I'm supposed to be king. God's promise was the kingdom, but the circumstances that I'm looking at aren't lining up with the promise. There, there's things that I know as, that are supposed to be happening that, that aren't lining up. The, the, the providence of God doesn't seem to be parallel with the promises of God. And I don't know about you, but there are times when that happens in every one of our lives, if we, if, if we recognize, if we understand the promises that are, that are ours in God, and there are times when we look and we say, man, it's just, it doesn't seem to be lining up. The difficult times that we face that, that cause us to doubt the promises of God, that cause us to doubt the word of God, even God's purpose for our life. And we all know the verse, if we've been studying the Bible any length of time and gone through any trials, somebody's given you this verse as counsel. But James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." That there's a work that needs to be done through the trials and the tests. And I'm drawn when I was looking at this earlier to that word consider. Consider it all joy. Consider that word literally means to look at it from all angles. Examine it very closely. And how many of you know sometimes we have to do that with our trials to see the good in it? to see what God is doing. We have to examine it. We have to look at it closely because, again, from the surface, it might just look like it's not lining up with the promises of God, these things that are happening. And I know that it's uh, not good for me to do this, but while we were worshiping, something came to my mind, and so I'm going to go with it here. (laughs) Uh, There we go. I was hoping I'd turn to the right verse. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 3. It begins, actually, it starts in chapter 2. The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, speaking of Jesus, 
so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are being tempted. Now that word tempted, as we've mentioned other times in our study, that word tempted is the same Greek word as the word tested or trials that we just saw in James. And it goes on to this, and this is where I, I want to draw this. It says, therefore, ver chapter 3, verse 1 of Hebrews, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, that's us right? It says next, consider Jesus. I think that's the key for all of us to understand <laughs> that what it is that is being done. When we consider it all joy, I think it's impossible for us to consider it all joy unless we consider Jesus. Unless we look for all that he is and all that he went through for us, our example that it tells us in Hebrews there. And as we draw this back and we begin to look at our study tonight, we look at the promise that was David's, right? He was promised a crown. He was promised the throne of Israel. And so we could say, well, okay, that's the promise he had, and so he could consider it all joy. He not knowing, but we do, that he will eventually sit on that throne. Well, you know what? Hebrews chapter 1, or James chapter 1 goes on and says this, verse 12, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. <laughs> There's a crown promised to us, too. David's promised an earthly crown. We are promised a heavenly crown. We are promised a crown of life. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to the one, all who love his appearing. Anyone love the appearing of the Lord Jesus? Can't wait for that. <laughs> it tells us that there's a crown of righteousness waiting for us too. We have those promises as well. And when we're going through the difficulties, when we're going through the trials, it might not seem like it's all gonna work out. Like, like it, even at times, is it really all worth it? especially when those trials are very difficult, when the times are very dry and hard. But I think, in, again, as the football season is kicking off now and they get through all of the preseason and all of the practices and all of the injuries and all of the rehab and all of the soreness and all of that, all of that is worth it, those guys standing there on that last day holding up the trophy. Not one of them's thinking about the pain anymore. Not one of them's thinking about everything that they had to do to get there. The end is all worth it, and it's going to be so much more... <laughs> when that crown of righteousness is given to us. Well, with that as a brief introduction, 1 Samuel chapter 20. <laughs> Again, David now fleeing, escaping. We've seen over the last couple of chapters that God is taking away these things that David has had comfort in, that he's been able to lean on to this point. Even now, he's, he had to go away from Samuel because Samuel was able to, the Lord through Samuel, be able to cause a diversion, but David had to flee even from there. And he flees to his best friend, Jonathan, chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? What is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? He said to him, 
Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. David goes to his friend Jonathan and, and pours out his heart to him. Why? Why is this going on? I don't understand. And Jonathan says, wait a second, my dad's not trying to kill you. Jonathan believed his dad, if you'll remember back in chapter 19, verse 6, I believe. It says, Saul, listen to the voice of Jonathan. Jonathan was correcting him when he was trying to kill David the last time. And it says, Saul vowed, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Jonathan took that vow, believed it. He said, if he's going to do anything, he's certainly going to tell me. Verse 3, yet David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this, or he will be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is there is hardly a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. So David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon and I ought to sit down to eat with the king, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked to leave a leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, because it is the yearly sacrifice there for the whole family. If he says it is good, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, know that he has decided on evil. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is iniquity in me, put me to death yourself, for why then should you bring me to your father? So Jonathan's by, by said, well, okay, you sure seem set on this fact that my dad's trying to kill you. What do you want me to do? And I love that again in Jonathan as we see a couple of more traits as we move through this. What a, what a, what a great friend. First of all, one that David could feel that he could just come to and just unload on. We all need friends like that, don't we? And we all need to be a friend like that. That just, that's just there to listen. That's just there to let somebody to just, just throw up all over. Say, all right, I'm, I'm here for you. And then to provide comfort. What can I do for you? How can I help you in this? Bible tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens. And when we do that, it says that we fulfill the law of Christ. Coming alongside when they're hearing, hearing is one thing, to listen is one thing, but then as Jonathan says, whatever you say, I'll do. What do you need me to do? How can I help you? Now David goes on with this little storyline that he makes up, and he says, here's what I want you to do. Basically, in essence, I want you to lie for me. And he lays out this this story that he wants Jonathan to go and tell his dad. And he, 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 he wants Saul's heart to be revealed in this. And one thing, I, I make a point of this earlier because we're going to see this again as we go through tonight, but David, in, in panic, he, he's running, he's running, and he doesn't know where, to, where else to turn. He goes now to his best friend, and he's in panic. He's in desperation. He, he's in, he's in to, total fear right now for his own life. And so he, he starts thinking, trying to make it up himself, figure out what to do himself. And he says, here's what to do. We're going to make up this story to see what happens. Now, just because 
God doesn't call it out here in the scripture, and it appears as though it works, because we do find out, as we're going to continue to read, that, that they do find out the answer. They see Saul's heart in it. Please do not take that as, as, oh, well, it's okay. Obviously, it's okay for the Bible. It says in the Bible, we can lie. That's not at all the truth. There's recorded for us the stories, and that's one of the things I love about the Word of God is the stories are given to us, and we see our heroes, warts and all. We see the good and the bad, even in King David, a man after God's own heart. But we see right here, he's not seeking God's heart. He's letting the situation and everything else just flood over him. He, instead of turning to the Word of God, he's turning to first flesh alonians. And saying, what, how can I figure this out? How can I solve this myself? And what seems to make sense to me is this. So often, so often we can get sucked into that trap and we forget the faithfulness of God. It wasn't that long ago that David slew Goliath. How many times has God already delivered David from the hands of death? He's already, he's already dodged three spears and, and, like I said, several hit teams that have come by the hand of God. But instead of relying on the faithfulness of God, he panics and turns to his own self. Well, Jonathan responds. David says, bottom line, if this turns out really bad and it's all flipped upside down and it's going to get bad, don't turn me in. Don't give me it over to your father. Kill me yourself. Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I should indeed learn that evil has been decided by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you about it? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. So they were maybe close by where they weren't quite sure that a road or traffic or something like that. Let's go out into the middle of the field. Let's make sure no one can hear what we're about to say. So they go out there together. Then Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. Jonathan is saying this before David, calling God into the equation and into the conversation. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if there is good feeling toward David, shall I not then send to you and make it known to you? If it please my father to do you harm, may the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not make it known to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. And may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So if it's good news, I'll come and get you and we'll go back into town together. If it's bad news, I'll let you know so that you can get away safely. Verse 14, if I'm still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Now this was common then that if a new kingly line would come into place, that that king would wipe out all of the remaining family of the previous king so that no one else could try to come and take up the throne. And that was just common in that culture, not, not, not the Jewish culture, but in the, in the, around them. So he's saying, when you become king, don't wipe out my family. And I love that because 
David says, there's hardly a step between me and death. Basically, I could die at any moment. He says, you know, basically, if things go bad, Jonathan, you kill me. Jonathan has more faith than David does at this moment. The promise wasn't made to Jonathan, it was made to David. And Jonathan is the one saying, you're going to be king. You're going to be king. All of your enemies are going to be put under your foot. You are going to destroy all of your enemies. And when all that happens, be nice to me. Be kind to me. And that's another thing, again, I love about Jonathan. And what a great example for us. When our faith falters, it's great to have a friend that comes alongside, that that encourages our faith. Instead of taking advantage of the fact that we, we might be down and pushing us down, Jonathan could have totally capitalized on this situation in his flesh. But he had a great love for David and a greater love for the Lord. And so in that, he is encouraging his friend, strengthening his faith. We all need people like that, and again, we all need to be people like that for others. Husbands, wives, hugely important. <laughs> I love my wife, and she is, such a, she is such an encouragement to me. So many times when, when things are getting, <laughs> are getting upside down, when things are getting squirrely, and I'm like, oh, what am I doing here? God, God made such a mistake. And I get on, you know, going like that. She's like, oh, honey. Hang in there. God's got plans for you. He's not done with you yet. And that encouragement. We need that. Husbands, wives, be that for each other. Be that for someone else. What a great example Jonathan is. Not going to hear much more of him, as we will see in a moment. Verse 16, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. Then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. So there's this, new, there's this festival, as David said, it's new moon, it's a monthly thing and they, Saul must, must have celebrated that each, each month as it came around with a three-day festival and you'll be missed because your seat is empty. When you have stayed for three days, You shall go quickly and come to the place where you hid yourself on that eventful day, and you shall remain by the stone of Ezel. So go find a place to hide, but in three days you come back and see that stone right over there that's at the intersection in the road that was a directional marker that kind of told people where they were traveling. It was also a place where they would say, hey, we'll meet there and take off for our destination. It was kind of a meeting place to leave, but also a directional marker. And he says, you go over there in three days. So can you imagine now, for three days, David has to wait, to sit and to wait. And that's so hard, isn't it? So hard, so often, the waiting you know that God is going to speak. You know that something is going to happen. You, you, you know that God is ready to do something, but he hasn't revealed all of the, the next step yet. And that's what David has to do here. He has to wait. As the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. There is a tremendous amount of trust involved in waiting. And sometimes that is what the Lord desires in us in those times of silence, in those times of quiet, that we seek him, but that we wait. This situation that is going on here in David's life and the situations and trials and difficulties that we face, we need to understand that this is way bigger than us. 
The things that we face are way bigger than us. And the battle is the Lord's. It is not ours. And we need to wait. We need to wait. That's what David needed to do. Jonathan said at the end of this three days, you go and hide there. I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And behold, I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If, specifically, if I specifically say to the lad, behold, the arrows are on this side of you, get them, then come, for there is safety for you and no harm as the Lord lives. But if I say to the youth, behold, the arrows are beyond you, go, for the Lord has sent you away. As for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So they make the plan. So David hid in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat. The king sat down on his seat as usual, the seat by the wall, which I find is interesting. Again, the king, extremely paranoid, sitting with his back to the wall, looking out so he can see everything in the room. Then Jonathan rose up, and Abner sat down by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day, for he thought, it is an accident. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. You know, if you remember the, the laws that were set up about cleanliness and that type of thing, if David were to touch a dead person, and that happened a lot with David, right? <laughs> or a dead animal or anything like that, they were considered ceremonially unclean so they could not be a part of a meal like this. So until nightfall would come, then they would be clean for the next day. So he's thinking, that must have happened. So no big deal. We'll see him tomorrow came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty. So Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to the meal either yesterday or today? Interesting, son of Jesse, not David, son of Jesse. Jonathan then answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. For he said, please let me go since our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to attend. And now if I have found favor in your sight, please let me go away that I may see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. So putting it out there, just as they said, here's the plan. Let's see how Saul reacts. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. And the Hebrew is much stronger than that. <laughs> do, I, do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. Huh. They kind of reveal Saul's heart there. What he is saying in that statement, I get it. I understand what you're doing. You are, you are backing David in this. And again, he calls him the son of Jesse again. And I think now as we see this unfold in this statement, we can kind of understand even a little bit more of what he is saying. He is, it's a derogatory statement towards David, but he is calling out Jonathan. It's a shame to your mother's nakedness, pointing back to when he was conceived. Pointing back to that, it is a shame that you are submitting yourself to the son of this peasant, Jesse. You are royal lineage, and just calling him out, and again, so upset and angry at this. Just, just the anger pouring out. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. 
Therefore now, send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. But Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down, his own son. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. You think? Again, see how far this drives Saul. The fact that, that, again, to continually harden his heart and harden his heart and harden his heart gets to the point where he's actually tried to kill his own son. Then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because of his father has dis had dishonored him. Now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field for the appointment with David, and a little lad was with him. He said to the lad, run, find now the arrows which I am about to shoot, and the lad was running. He shot an arrow past him. When the lad reached the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond you? Jonathan called after the lad, hurry, be quick, do not stray. Jonathan's lad picked up the arrow and came to his master. But the lad was not aware of anything. Only Jonathan and David knew about the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapon to the lad and said to him, Go, bring them to the city. When the lad was gone, David arose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. They kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the more. Jonathan said to David, go in safety, and as much as we have sworn to each other in the, in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord will be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. So they give the, the sign that they had said that would mean that they are to go. Now, probably this was done so just in case others were following Jonathan out, that they could do this and not see one another again. This could be a, a, a sign to that. But we see that that's not actually what happened. That, that, that they kind of go through the thing that they had said, and then he gives the arrows in, the, in his bow to the, the boy, and he says, all right, now go back home. Run, run back home. And then they're able to see one another again. And, and th then they, they embrace one another. They, again, best friends and probably feeling at this point that they're never going to see each other again. They will see it one, at least one more time. But now this God now removing even David's best friend from him. And, and again, now, again, the questions must keep coming. Lord, what else? Who else? Where else can I go? Now, it's interesting before we move on to chapter 21, what is the point of the lad in this whole story? I mean, what, why, if, if that was never going to take place, okay, maybe, why, why is he there? It doesn't tell us, but I think it's interesting that it says that the lad was not aware of anything. I wonder how many times through the course of every single day there are things going on all around us that we are totally oblivious of that God is working in that person's life and in this way and all of these things that until we get to heaven, we have no idea. We're like that little kid running around picking up arrows. Okay, you know, and God is moving. We might go through the day and think nothing happened. Today was just meh. 
No, there was eternity stuff going on all around us that we just don't have any idea of. Well, chapter, chapter 21, again now, can you imagine how David's heart just has to be just about totally torn up now completely? As now he knows for sure he is, he is a fugitive. He is number one on the most wanted list in Israel. And now he can't even rely on his own best friend, not because his best friend betrayed him, but because his best friend can't help him here. His best friend can do nothing more for him. He has sent him away now. It says, then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? Ahimelech, the high priest there, a couple of miles outside of town where, where the, the tabernacle was set up, comes out to meet him and he notices, why are you alone? That, this is strange. Why, why don't you have a whole garrison with you? David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with, in which I have commissioned you and I have directed the young men to a certain place. So he makes up this story that King Saul has sent him on a secret mission, sent him quickly, top secret mission, and the men that are with him, he told to go, st- go stay off to the side somewhere and to hide a little bit. So here we see David again in a panic, probably thinking, I got a 50-50 shot here. If I tell him the truth, he's going to have to make a choice. Is he going to, because if he, if he helps me after he makes this choice, he's going to be on the fugitive list. He might pretend he's helping me. He might turn me in. So again, thinking on his own, okay, I'll know what I'll do. I'll make up this big story. Again, we see a lie that David is, is just putting out there. And this lie will be extremely costly. There are going to be 80, 83 or 85 men will lose their life because of this lie. And we'll see that when we get to chapter 22. Now therefore, what do you have on hand? David talking to Ahimelech. Give me five loaves of bread and, or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand. But there is the consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women, all of these men that are with you. David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I was set out, when I set out, and the vessels of the young men were holy. Though it was an ordinary journey, how much more than today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord in order to put the hot bread in its place when it was taken away. So it was that day where the bread, the show bread was replaced in the tabernacle and the bread that was taken off then was normally for the priests, but now they gave it to David so that he could have it to eat. Interesting when when the question was asked, why are you alone? Something about this whole thing with Ahimelech caused him to take pause. Something's not right. Something's not normal. Something's out of the ordinary here. What is it, David? What's going on? And how often does that happen where where we'll be going through that and and, and we'll be getting alone with the Lord in prayer, rushing through something, and, and there's been something going on in our life, panic, fear, you know, different things that are going on, and we'll come, and we'll come to church, and, 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 and people say, hey, how you doing? Some, 
something's wrong. Something's not right. And we always say, what, what's our, our answer? How you doing? Great. I'm fine. Right? <laughs> something's not right. But then even deeper, when we get to that point and, and the Lord speaks to our heart, what's, what's going on? Ever have that? And he knows. And as we've mentioned several times we're going through this, he knows. He just wants us to admit it. I'm, I'm kind of panicking, Lord. I, I, my faith isn't as strong as it should be. Help my unbelief. Strengthen my faith here. And man, how, again, how this story could have been totally different if he'd have just said, man, this is a mess. I'm, I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of freaking out right now. And, I, I, and, and then the priest could have ministered knowing the truth. Anyway, verse 7. Now, one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. Doeg is not a good guy. He's an Edomite, so conquered by Saul, probably then taken into captivity by Saul. Chief of Saul's shepherds. No doubt David has crossed paths with him before. And David said to Ahimelech, Now is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent. Interesting asking for, again, earthly weapons now. He only needed a sling and a stone to bring down Goliath, and now he's wondering if he could have some bigger artillery. Then the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it. For there is no other except it here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. So he takes the bread. He takes Goliath's sword. Then, verse 10, David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So now David really, really makes a bad judgment decision. And he goes to Gath. Remember who's from Gath? Goliath is from Gath. And he's going right into Philistines. He's going into enemy territory. How sh how, what a shame it is, though, that he feels safer in enemy territory than he does anywhere in Israel. But he goes to Gath. And it says, the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousand? That song wasn't only popular in Israel, it was being played in Gath. And they recognize him. They recognize that's David, that's the one. And notice again, the, the Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. His ten thousand Philistines. <laughs> there is probably not one single woman, child that is there that wasn't directly affected by David. Either killing their husband, father, grandfather. And now he's right there. And I wonder when it finally hit David. This was a bad idea. This was, this was I, I probably should have prayed first. <laughs> probably should have asked God before I did this. But now he's in it. I mean, what are you going to do? He's, he's in it. So David took these words to heart. 
and greatly feared Achish, the king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands. And he scribbled on the doors of the gate and let the saliva run down into his beard. Started acting like he's totally lost his mind. Crazy. Wonder if, wonder where he got an idea what that looks like. From Saul, maybe, when he's playing the harp, dodging spears. <laughs> but it says he's acted crazy. He's clawing at the doors. He's got spit running down his face and all this kind of stuff. And he did that for a reason, as we'll see. It says, then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see the man behaving like a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I not lack, ma- do I lack madmen? Do I need any more crazy people around me? That you have brought this one to act a madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? He's acting this way because, again, in that culture at that time when people were crazy, insane, losing their mind, they felt that they were touched by gods. In a negative way, yes, but still touched by gods. And so they didn't want anything to do with that, so they would just send them out. They would cast them away. They wanted nothing to do with them. They wouldn't kill them because they felt that the gods were dealing with them. If we step in and intervene here, the gods will begin dealing with us. So... Just get him away. Now we see here in chapter 21, he can't, his relationship with the priest is now taken away. He can't, he can't go back home. He can't go to his friend. His, he can't go to his, his pastor. Everything is gone. And now, as we just saw, even his dignity is gone. I mean, everything has been removed from David. And it tells us, and we're just going to look at the first verse of chapter 22. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. The cave of Adullam. Not too far away from Gath. Adullam actually overlooks the valley of Elah, where David killed Goliath. And he goes to this cave and he's all alone. It's just him and the Lord. And in that, David realizes that God is all I need. He is the one who is everything that I need. God will bring back friends. God will bring back family. God will bring back his dignity. God will restore relationship with all of those things. But he needed to get to that point where he realized that God is all I need even to the point where God is all I have. And that was a turning point for David. It's interesting. I'm not going to have time to read them all, but if you're taking notes, Psalm 34, Psalm 56, and Psalm 142 were all written in this time frame that we're looking at in these last verses of 21 and the first verses of 22. Psalm 142 is a distressing psalm. It says, I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Again, as he's crying out to God, and imagine that, the, that those first few days maybe in the cave of Agilent, as he's crying out to God, It says, I cried out to you, you are my refuge. You are my portion. Deliver me 
as he's crying out. Psalm 56, it tells us that that as, as we read this, this was a psalm of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So no doubt in the cave of Adullam, remembering back to then, because it wasn't like he goes, all right, guys, hey, hang on, time out. i got to write a song here. <laughs> but he's remembering back to that time as he writes Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Again, imagine the fear that overcame him when all of a sudden he realized He's in the middle of the enemy camp. He placed himself there. There's no way out. I, I, I am, I'm, in a, I'm in a whole lot of hot water right now. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose, words I pray, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? No doubt again, remembering back then and saying, man, I'm in that situation again. What? I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to trust God. If I'm walking with him, if I'm following him, what can man do to me? The natural reaction is to be afraid, but the supernatural, spirit-filled reaction is I will not be afraid. The word, the, if you were at the men's retreat this weekend, Pastor John Randall was sharing with us on Friday night, and he said something that has really stuck with me. It said, God's past faithfulness demands my present trust. God has always been faithful. He has never let me down. And that is what David is saying that thing right here. He's always been faithful, and that faithfulness demands my present trust. So when I face these trials and these difficulties again, I will trust in the Lord. Psalm 34, it tells us again that this is a psalm of David when he feigned madness, when he was acting crazy. Again, no doubt when he's looking back on that and reflecting on that. And as it tells us in, in the verses, in, in verse 2 of chapter 22, it says, Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. Now, there were about 400 men with him. So over the course of the next days and weeks and months, men keep coming to David, the distressed, the discouraged, those that are in debt, those that are also on the most wanted list. And, and they keep coming, and they keep finding David, and, and his family comes. No doubt they're on the Saul's most wanted list. And they all come to David there. And this is going to be the core of the, of the most effective fighting force in Israel's history that David is going to lead when he becomes king. This is the core. This is where they're starting. And no doubt, when I read Psalm 34, it must have been something that as he's sharing, almost as, 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 as he's training his troops, he's training these men, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. And he continues on there. Again, no doubt as he is reflecting and then as he's cried out to God and God spoke to his heart and showed him how he was always faithful, how he has delivered them. Now he's teaching these men. Now he's pouring into them. 
What a... What a difficult time, no doubt. But what a lesson that we can learn in that. That though it may not seem like God's providence is lining up with his promises, he is always faithful. He is always faithful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your word. Thank you for this story of David that you have recorded for us. Lord, in it we see a man just like us, facing trials and difficulties just like us. Handling things in the flesh like quite often we do, Lord. And Lord, we like David come to you and confess our desperate need for you. We know that you are always faithful. As he recorded again in Psalm 56, we oftentimes wonder if you care, but he records for us that you keep all of our tears in a bottle, that you know every thought, you know every care and emotion. So Lord, strengthen our faith in times of difficulty. Let us, let us see that it is just simply you working in us to prepare us for greater things. Lord, that we would be able to look past the present trials to the future glory, the crown of righteousness that awaits us all, Lord, as we, we love your appearing. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.